think I have a whole new perspective about life, of course, but minute things that seemed very, very unbearable before still in the moment can seem challenging and seem upsetting. But in the back of my mind, I usually am able to find this perspective and talk to myself and say, you were able to get through much harder things physically, mentally, emotionally. You will be able to get through this just like you got through your cancer journey. On Air with Chai, a podcast that inspires, brings hope, shows strength, and resilience. I'm Brian, one of your hosts. Today's special guest is one of pure resilience, grit, grind, and determination. Amanda did not let anything, including her fight with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stop her from reaching her goals. Take a listen. Everybody, welcome to another episode of On Air with Chai. I'm Brian Strasberg, your host. Today, I'm joined by one Amanda Kaufman, who was a High Lifeline client. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, a lot of people like to talk a lot about overcoming adversity, resilience. And in your, in, if you're in the sports world, which I know you were, how much grit somebody has. I don't know if anybody's ever mentioned the word grit to you guys and uh, as for figure skating, but like I know it's thrown around a lot in the sports industry. Um, I would say more often than not, when people are talking about these things, they're referring a lot to mental capacity, mental capability, getting out of your own way, carrying on. Your situation is different, but it's the same kind of for in this aspect. And the reason for that is you were a top-tier performing athlete. And at the age of 17 years young, that whole world came crashing down when you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Can you tell us about that and your experience with it when you were diagnosed? What went on in your mind with that kind of feeling, knowing that the thing that you love the most may come to an end? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, um, I was a very healthy teenager. Um, I was involved in elite sports. I competed on Team Canada for uh, synchronized skating, and I was fortunate enough to travel around the world representing our country. And at the time, um, I had just made the junior national team, so was looking forward to kind of experiencing my first world championships and everything was looking up. Um, And honestly, I was feeling very healthy, Um, just a few weird symptoms here or there, but nothing pointing to anything extreme, nothing sort of worrying any any doctors or needing me to go to any uh, specialists. Um, And then something odd was spotted on one of the imaging that was done just on a a routine x-ray for some knee pain that I was having. And... This led to a three-hour MRI that scanned my whole body because they had flagged something very weird. And I found myself the next morning in the oncology ward of sick kids because they had found that um, my body had sort of been taken over by stage four lymphoma. 
Um, and as you mentioned, my world kind of stopped at this point because they felt that they needed to start treatment right away. So I was, my plans were to be starting grade 12 that fall. This was in July. So I um, never ended up being able to go to school for my last year of high school. And of course, most disappointing was uh, having to stop skating, as you mentioned. And there was a lot of uncertainty at the time, but I think not ever knowing if I'd be able to get back to skating and be, be able to sort of build back my strength um, to be able to compete at the level I was at was possibly the most disheartening part of all of it. So that's a little bit about like the diagnosis part. That's, I mean, at 17, when you are at that level of athleticism and you're trying to go places and you're competing at such a high level and you come back with this diagnosis, what goes on in your mind? At the start, I think there's no real time to think and you just have to jump into action and you're just focused on, you know, you're, you're filled with a bit of fear, I think, at the beginning, um, you know, fear for like, am I going to be okay? But luckily at SickKids, um, they were very reassuring. And even though it was obviously a serious diagnosis in pediatrics, and luckily with my diagnosis, there's a very good prognosis. So um, there was always a lot of hope when I was talking to the doctors that our goal was cure and that, you know, you're going to be okay. We're, we have treatments in place that are going to be able to make you better. And so there was always um, a good plan forward. So that fear of sort of, um, you know, am I going to survive this? Am I going to beat this kind of dissipated pretty quickly. And I was very lucky to also have a very strong support system with my friends and family that rallied around me to really keep my, um, my psyche strong. Um, but in terms of sports, that I was a little bit naive at the beginning. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to miss a few practices here or there for treatment, but I'm going to, you know, remain on the team and keep, you know, stay involved as much as possible and keep skating when I can. Maybe on the off weeks of chemo, I can keep skating. And then I very quickly realized once I started treatment that this was not the case at all. So while I did stay on the team and was very involved in other ways off the ice, my coaches and my teammates were incredibly supportive. I would FaceTime into practice and I would keep in touch and watch videos. But unfortunately, I had to be an inpatient um, at SickKids. So I was not able to attend practices or leave the hospital because my immune system was so suppressed from the chemo. And also um, just the nature of my treatment was pretty harsh. So my body did take quite a beating and I wasn't, and I wasn't able to skate like I had maybe thought I was going to be able to. I actually was pretty much bedridden for about five months and so at that point is when I started getting worried about, oh my goodness, will I ever be able to skate again? I was sort of thinking, how am I going to you know, build up my strength to be able to walk again? Because at that point, it was so exhausting to even get up. I remember one night, my dad was with me and he said, we're going to make a goal to walk from here to the end of the hallway. And then a couple months later, it was, we're going to walk from here to the elevator bank. And looking back, that is something that we all take so much for granted here to the elevator bank is, I don't know what it is, maybe 25 meters, like not far at all. And here I was hoping to, to skate at a, a world championship level. It just seemed unfathomable. But when I ultimately took it little by little, one step at a time. So starting with standing up, then walking, and then 
building up my strength to skate for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, taking it stepwise and, and building up slowly, slowly was a lot e- easier mentally and physically to comprehend to ultimately reach that goal. So you managed to get back on the ice at the end of it all. I did. It was a little bit quicker than I think anyone had sort of believed and maybe not, not the most responsible of me because it was a little bit against doctor's orders. <laughs> uh, basically my last surgery. Um, so I finished treatment in De- December 15th of 2017. Uh, so mid-December. And then I knew that the world championships were in March of that year. So March of 2018. And they were in Croatia. And I told my doctors and my parents and my teammates that I was going to be there skating at those world championships in March. And it was only kind of a three, three and a half month timeline that I had to build up from bedridden to skating at the world championship. It seems a little bit ridiculous, to be honest, looking back, but I was pretty steadfast in that goal. And I did work really, really hard with a lot of different people, um, to build back, first of all, that mind-muscle connection of just being able to train the body to move again. And then, as I mentioned, slowly, slowly, I built up to walking, skating, and I did ultimately compete that, that March in Croatia at the Junior World Championships with my team. So that was a very triumphant moment for me. That's incredible. Not only to be able to return back to the sport I love and, and be with my teammates, but it was really it really signified like, okay, I beat this. This is over. This is in the past. Do you feel that because of the level of training that you've had prior and the condition your body was in before, you were able to kind of push yourself more to get there quicker? Yeah, I think being young was helpful. You know, at 17, the body's sort of very resilient, able to bounce back. And I also think having that goal. So all throughout treatment, skating was kind of like that light at the end of the tunnel for me. I was always thinking about getting back on the ice. I was always thinking about March, you know, three more months, one more month. Um, And so just having that goal really sort of propelled me to want to get there. And, And having that desire really helps the body and the mind recover. That's incredible. I think that's just, I, I think it's amazing. So like, that's what I get the, with resilience with you, it's there, it's ingrained and like the amount of grit that you had to have to really double down and make sure that you got where you wanted to be because that level of competition is not something to take very lightly. That's a very hard place to get, especially when you're competing for Canada at that level, you know, so it's honestly, that's good for you, but that's incredible. I cannot believe that. That's amazing that you're able to actually take yourself from bedridden in three months competing world-class again. Were you, were, were you able to skate the same way that you skated before or was it a little, was, were you a little bit behind or how did that pan out? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say that I was very fortunate to have again, an incredible support system. So not only my friends and family that were very supportive of my somewhat unrealistic goal. Um, My parents were there to organize, you know, 
who can we find to help her? I was very uncomfortable, you know, going to a public gym at the time because of my appearance. I had to wear a wig. It wasn't easy to sweat or to move a lot. They, you know, hired someone to come into our home and train one-on-one because it was also sort of touch and go. I was still recovering. We didn't really know some days were up, some days were down. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling up to training some days. Some days I would feel great. It was a little bit unpredictable. And then for skating, my coach, who obviously her main focus was to train this elite team to be the best that they can. And she had the responsibility of sort of Skate Canada and like the federation of the country to make our team competitive with the rest of the world. But she still dedicated focus to me and my own personal needs, which were a little bit different than the rest of the team and was very compassionate to, again, my ups and my downs in terms of how I was feeling and supporting me getting back to the level that I wanted to be at. Because yes, as you mentioned, of course, I started, I definitely regressed from where I had been pre-diagnosis. But luckily with that support, I was able to train myself again to get to the level where I need to be. So I would say at those world championships, was I at my best? Definitely not. Um, But I think it was sort of good enough and passable where it was so important for me to be out there. It was, it was still reasonable for me to be out on the ice and I was still at um, like a respectable level to be competing at that level. But I certainly was still working up to my full strength. But luckily, I continued to skate for three more years after that. Um, and actually, I'm proud to say that I, I do think I got back not only to the level I was at pre-diagnosis, but was able to continue to develop my skills into being um, probably in the best skating shape that I had been in ever. It's, it's inspiring because, I mean, there's people who's on a regular day without having cancers to take them out kind of thing and wipe everything out that they had getting up out of bed and struggling just to be able to do this kind of stuff and train at that level anyways I mean so the fact that you had to overcome such a hard thing that pretty much deteriorated your body through treatments and everything and to get there that's it's inspiring for everybody like every like it's amazing to hear that um, I know when you were skating in Croatia, they did something very special for you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that whole season, so I was diagnosed in July, and our team practices year-round, but obviously being a winter sport, the competitive season is really in the winter. and So we really pick up training intensely, I would say around August, September through to March. We do train throughout the summer, but the choreography of the routines that we perform are sort of built in that time frame, August, September. So my coach decided to dedicate one of our routines that year to me. So we skated that year to the song Rise Up by Andrew Day, which talks about, you know, rising up from adversity and really encompassed what I was going through. And then she made the costume. So our dresses that all the whole team wore had a lymphoma ribbon on the back of them. So it was like the team was kind of carrying me on their backs, which was symbolic of how they supported me throughout the the journey. So that's why like competing in Croatia was even more special for me because I was able to skate to this song Rise Up with the lymphoma ribbon on my back. And the choreography of the routine itself was kind of showcasing my journey through skating. So it was 
it was very touching for people to watch, I think, but really, really special for me to actually perform my own emotions and my own journey through art in a sense, through skating. What's that like? What's it like being able to demonstrate and show your story through that art? So I think it was very unique because in skating, you know, it's, it's a cool sport, I think, because it's both athletic and artistic. And the artistic component, we're always told to be very performative and, um, you know, tell the story of whatever routines we're doing. So, you know, I've had routines where we've sort of portrayed the circus and I've had routines where we've portrayed like a dark, eerie sort of concept. But, but this routine where it was portraying my own story, the emotions and the the facial expressions were so genuine and so natural because I didn't have to put on any faces just for the judges, right? It really came so naturally because it was how I was genuinely feeling about performing this routine and how I felt through the different moments of the performance. So there was, you know, the stage that we were showing about diagnosis and the uncertainty and the fear and then we went into like the dark days of treatment when everything was so challenging and so difficult. And there were all these obstacles that I had to overcome. And then at the end of the routine, when the music kind of picks up and the movements represented, represented this too, it was that triumph of I beat this, I'm here now, I'm competing, I'm achieving my goal. So it was in a sense, almost easier on the artistic side because everything was just natural and true raw emotion. But on the other hand, it was also a little bit difficult, difficult to stay focused because you can get caught up in that emotion. It is such a, a special and, and touching piece to be performing that you have to remember to stay focused and be in the moment when you are competing on a world stage. Yeah, I, I could absolutely imagine if you're skating to that song, you're skating to your emotions, you're skating to your story, you kind of start having flashbacks of everything that you've been through with everything and you can't absolutely get lost in that moment and forget what you're doing and where you are. Um, I just want to kind of take it back because you, you mentioned a couple times uh, your support base. So you're fighting two different things here. You're, you're fighting for your life at one aspect, but you're fighting for your livelihood of skating on a different side. How hard was it for your parents to juggle that with you and for yourself and your family and your friends and your teammates and your coach? Were they pushing or pulling you in one direction or another? Like, how did that work out? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. So as I said, I think I mentioned that like the most disappointing, or sorry, the most uncertain thing was whether I'd be able to return to the ice. Now, of course, the sort of uncertainty of whether I would beat this and whether I would survive was the overwhelming emotion, right? You're, you're fearful at the beginning and, and you just don't know with cancer, even though it's a good prognosis rate for my diagnosis and even though there was a plan for cure and there was a solid treatment regimen in place, you never know because unfortunately, this disease is very unpredictable and not everyone is as lucky as ultimately I was. So 
that was definitely the main focus was being able to to survive this right I of course wanted to be able to skate and that was something that was so very important to me but ultimately we had to focus on getting me through this so that I would be able to live right if I wasn't going to live I wasn't going to be able to skate so I would say that everyone was very supportive there was no real pushing or pulling or um directing me in different directions people were just rallying around me and doing whatever they could to um, support my recovery and support me getting back to life and once I got back to health then I would return to the ex. How did this change family dynamic at all or did it affect family dynamic like how did it affect your parents how did it affect your extended family? Mm-hmm. So I think a diagnosis of this nature has a huge impact on a family. For me, I'm the oldest sibling. So I have two younger siblings, a younger brother and a younger sister. And at the time in July, when I was diagnosed, they were both actually at summer camp, overnight camp. Um, So when you're at overnight camp, you don't really have a phone. You're kind of cut off from the outside world. So it was a tough decision at the time. You know, if we told them what was going on, we would probably have to bring them home because it's pretty life-altering news to hear that your older sister has been diagnosed with cancer. But early on in my treatment, especially at the first couple rounds of chemo, they were very, very intense and we kind of needed all hands on deck. So both of my parents decided that um, it would be best for everyone's sake if they didn't tell my siblings for one more month until they came home from camp to sort of ignorance is bliss, keep them enjoying summer camp, keep them distracted so that they could focus all their attention on me. So I had the two-on-one care of my mom and dad for the first sort of month, the first round or two of chemo, which were very hard on my body because the body's never seen drugs of this nature. So it's sort of in shock and takes very, very severe side effects to the medicine. And then once they got home and found out what was going on. Of course, their lives changed too because my parents still had to focus a lot of their energy and their time on me. I was an inpatient for about five to six months. So one parent would stay with me overnight and the other parent would be with my two younger siblings and they would be able to come and visit during the days but wouldn't stay overnight. Um, But everyone really pitched in and here's one of the ways that High Lifeline was so fundamental They were really great at not only caring for me as the patient, but really caring for our whole family. So really helping my parents and my siblings in that way. You know, of course, my siblings were not neglected at all. They still were treated amazingly well, but a lot of the attention and focus and time had to go into me. So High Lifeline was there if they needed a drive, if they needed groceries, a meal, if they needed entertainment, just keeping my siblings emotional life, if that makes sense, or keeping their life the most normal and the most pleasant that could be within the situation. But luckily, our family is is very strong and very close. And we were all sort of, my siblings were very understanding. And I'm very grateful that they took a back seat and were just there for me and it's 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 truly a gift that I have and our family luckily was 
I think in hindsight, years later, we can say that we were brought closer by this experience because we grew to appreciate each other even more. I was going to ask, are you guys closer now than you were um, before the diagnosis and everything? Because, I mean, events like this tend to either have a positive effect or a negative effect on a family. Um, it can either rip it apart or bring it closer together. Um, so I guess what you're saying is you guys are now that much closer and respectful, but I'm sure at the end of the day, you guys are still ready to beat each other up when they're annoying each other. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> it's like every other siblings. Um, as I'm wondering, how, at 17, how do you, how do you make sense of this all at 17? How do you bring it all together? How do you kind of say, okay, this is what's going on now. This is what I've been diagnosed with that came out of nowhere these were my plans. These were my goals. This is all gone. How do I push forward now? I would say there was like no time for processing at the beginning. It was the shock and the speed at which my life took a 180 was so rapid that it was just no thinking all doing like it was just go time. So I just kind of jumped two feet in and sort of just did whatever the doctors said at the beginning, it was just, okay, let's do this. Let's make this better. And then once I got really sick, I think, from the side effects of the drugs is when I started thinking more because I started getting a little bit down on myself about, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this? It seemed like the tunnel was never ending at the beginning. But then when I talked this through with my family, I think my dad here was pivotal. So he is the most glass half full optimistic person and just a happy-go-lucky type of guy. And he was the one that was propelling me to take this um, one step at a time, one day at a time. He had a little thing he would do with me every day called win the day. So instead of thinking of six months out from now, he would say, okay, how are we going to win today? What's going to be our little goal of the day? How are we going to just get through the day? Because feeling so, so, so sick, it was actually hard to even kind of forecast just that day. It was hard to get through each hour. So he was coaching me to take it moment by moment, breath by breath, day by day, rather than seeing it as this six month long journey. And so I think that was the best strategy for compartmentalizing everything. And then I sort of used that when it got back time to prepare myself for getting on the ice. So rather than thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to get from bedridden to skating at Worlds? It was okay. I'm going to set little goals and win the day so that each day I'm 0.1% better than I was yesterday. And overall, these cumulative little wins will add up and get me to where I want to be. That's like a pure, true athletic mindset. <laughs> that's exactly what that is. That's like the best kind of way of looking at things is you take the little goals and those little goals are the big goals. Like they add up to that. And every time you reach one, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's a win. You know, so taking that one step and the second step, it's two wins right there. And you keep going and going and going. You're totally right. And I do want to 
mentioned though that it definitely was not linear. There were setbacks. There were two steps back, one step forward. There was five steps back, one step forward. So it was definitely not a linear path to to recovery or to um, getting back on the ice. And there were definitely days where I couldn't bring my mental state sort of to to be positive and to be hopeful. There were really, really hard days. But overall, I was lucky to have the support system that was able to help help me both physically and emotionally. So that's what I'll say. Was there ever a point through all of this with your reaching goals, coming back from it, setbacks, going back forward? Was there ever a point where you're just like, this is insane. I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to stop and I'm not going to bother skating anymore. Did you ever get to that point or did you just, because of your dad and the support that you had and the goals that you had in front of you, were you just pushing through and grinding as much as you can or were you just at times like, forget it, it's not worth it? No, there was definitely times. I remember one moment vividly, which was actually the first time I got back on the ice. So I was very eager to get back out there. I knew my timeline of just over three months was not very long. So I sort of, as soon as I got medical clearance, I got back on the ice. And I got back on and I thought I'd be rusty, you know, need to warm up a bit. wasn't going to be at full strength, but it was like riding a bike. I'd get right back up to where I wanted to be. I got on the ice and I fell right away. Like I couldn't even stand on the ice. And yes, ice is slippery, but you know, I wasn't used to falling just by standing, doing nothing. Um, and I got up and I tried to skate again and I fell again. And I got up and I skated a few steps and I fell again and my wig fell off on the ice. And it was the most humiliating and just not the way I want, wanted to debut getting back on the ice. And after that, I got off the ice and I just cried and cried and cried to my mom. And I said, I'll never be able to get back to where I want to be. I'll never be able to skate again. I don't know if I can do this. And that's when we, she was very encouraging. said, yes, you will. You'll get there. You're just fresh out of treatment. And that's when we made this plan of, okay, we're not going to get back on the ice just yet. We first have to build up your strength and your mind muscle connection off the ice, build up your stamina, build up your muscular strength, build up your stability. And then we're going to try another month from now to get back out on the ice. So for the next month is when I worked with that trainer and I slowly, slowly built up my strength and built up my stamina. And then a month later, I tried to get back out on the ice. And this time went a lot better than the first time. I still was very, very weak and rusty, but I was at least able to stand up and able to, you know, go around the perimeter of the arena slowly. And so, yeah, there was definitely that moment that first time I got up back on the ice where I questioned whether I would ever be able to get back to skating. Do you ever have moments where you're talking to somebody or like if you're at work or if you're with friends or family or somebody and they're telling you about a really difficult situation that they're dealing with and them wanting to give up and just not pursue or push through or just kind of 
get to the other side of it and you kind of just like sit them down and be like, listen, this is what I've been through. This is how I got there. You can do it too kind of thing. Like, are you that kind of cheerleader for other people now? Like, are you, are you kind of helping other people along their journeys? I've definitely done a lot of speaking at different various places, talking about resilience and talking about overcoming adversity. And I think that a lot of the time when I speak about my journey, people are people sometimes might think to themselves, oh my goodness, like if she can get through cancer, like I can get through, you know, daily hassles that that are troublesome to me and sort of comparing in that way. But I encourage people to take from my story, not, oh my goodness, if she could overcome Mount Everest, I can overcome this little hill. Not in that way, but I would say, rather than comparing and saying, oh my goodness, if she got through something so significant, I can get through something so seemingly insignificant. Because I think those daily hassles can actually be as analogous as what I went through. So not to compare in that way, but rather to take my ability and lots of people's abilities to overcome challenges and apply this to whatever your challenge may be, big or small. So it's not, it honestly doesn't matter if it's a cancer diagnosis or if it's a, you know, hassle at work or if it's, you know, supporting someone else going through a hard time. Just taking that mindset of being able to overcome something is sort of the main thing that I encourage other people to take from my story. Sure. What does resilience mean to you nowadays? Resilience now means a lot more than it did pre-cancer. I think I have a whole new perspective about life, of course, but minute things that seemed very, very unbearable before still in the moment can seem challenging and seem upsetting. But in the back of my mind, I usually am able to find this perspective and talk to myself and say, you were able to get through much harder things physically, mentally, emotionally, you will be able to get through this just like you got through your cancer journey. So I use the resilience of sort of overcoming this very, very big obstacle to be resilient in smaller areas of my life. Can you give us an example of what one of those areas would be? Yeah, resilience um, in terms of setbacks with you know, setbacks in school, setbacks um, at work, setbacks with friends or family, setbacks, you know, this is something really small, but I really like going to the gym and I'm into doing these workout classes, which are running and strength. And, um, you know, I had a life event, which I got sick and I couldn't go to the gym for a couple of weeks. And I felt like all my progress was lost. Oh my goodness, I can't lift the same weights I was lifting before. I was so disappointed. And I initially was like, oh my goodness, you've become so weak. You can't lift the weights. You can't run as fast as you were running before. But then I thought back to the time where I was in treatment and I was bedridden. And then I got back to skating and I said, okay, don't focus on today, focus on a month from now. And if you, you know, go up in weights by one pound tomorrow and go up in speed by, you know, 
0.1 on the treadmill. Then in a month from now, you'll build up to where you were before you got sick. So it was kind of obviously a way smaller challenge here, but I used this resilience and this mindset of small goal setting that I had used previous. You got sick, so. You're in school right now? I am. What are you studying? So I actually just finished my third year at Queens. I was in general science. And I am proud to say that I did get into the University of Toronto Medical School. So I'll be starting at the end of August. Amazing. Mazel tov. Very excited about that. Thank you. That's awesome. Good for you. You want to become a doctor? What kind of doctor? Yes. That's a great question. I'm not totally sure yet. I would love to work at Sick Kids in some capacity to give back. Obviously, it's a place that's very special and hold dearly in my heart. And pediatric oncology is definitely something I'm considering. So we'll see where, where the journey takes me. But I'm very, very excited to start med school. That's fantastic. Any kind of advice you'd give to somebody who might be in, in a similar kind of situation as you or gone through something like this to help them push through? I think I've said this a couple times, but again, having a light at the end of your tunnel, whatever that may be. So for me, that was skating, but whether that's you know getting back to school, whether that's just um, maybe there's an activity that you, you know, you want to go to Disney World at the end of your treatment. You want to, doesn't have to be something so grand. It could be, you know, I want to get back to being able to visit my friends, being able to go to a cottage, being able to, I don't know, go grocery shopping with my family. Honestly, those little things when you're in treatment sound very, very exciting. So I would say whatever it is, having that goal that acts as the light at the end of your tunnel is so important for keeping your mind kind of occupied and keeping your focus in the right place, which is forward, right? Taking each step forward despite the setbacks and despite the distractions and despite the pain and adversity that you're facing, having that forward-looking mindset and that goal-setting mindset where you take small goals to reach your ultimate goal would be the advice I would give anyone going through any challenging time. Wish at the wall. Yes. What was that like? Wow, what was that like? It was incredible. So for those people listening that maybe aren't sure what Wish at the Wall is, I was fortunate enough to receive a call from High Lifeline inviting me on a trip to Israel with my with one parent, so I went with my mom, and it was a group of 10 of us from all around North America, and actually I think around the world there was one duo from Belgium, which was super cool, a couple from Toronto, a couple from Chicago, New York, so sort of all over. We came together and we met in Israel. It was 10 cancer survivors and their parents. And we embarked on this journey throughout Israel and got to experience all of the best that Israel has to offer. So Masada, and we got to go to the Kotel, and we got to go ATVing, and so many experiences riding on camels. I can't even list them all. It was it was an amazing experience. Um, and we kind of just got to be joyful. All of us had had prior experiences with cancer and had gone through really challenging times. And we had also just kind of been on the cusp of emerging COVID. So it was sort of this like breakthrough from cancer and COVID and being able to celebrate in the homeland of Israel and be able to just do all of these fun activities that we had all missed out on while we were battling a life-threatening illness. 
was really fun and really special. And to be able to experience this with a parent who went through these challenging times right there by our sides made the trip even more full circle. And so I'm so grateful to High Lifeline for inviting me. And it's just another one of those ways that it's such a special organization of just making the lives of families better in whatever way they can. And this was just honestly an experience I'll never forget. That's awesome. I love Israel. Like I was, I've been there a couple of times. Birthright was the last time when I turned, I turned 21 on my trip and phenomenal time that we had out there. Um, I could only imagine, like I saw some of the footage uh, when you were there and it, was, it seemed like an incredible experience. It was. You guys. I'm so grateful. Really, it was amazing. Are you still involved in skating? Yeah. So when I went to Queens for undergrad, I had to stop at this elite level because you know, we were training five, six times a week in Burlington and it just wasn't going to be possible for me to be a full-time student in Kingston and then training as at the level I was at. So I did take a step back from the sport at that point, but I'm actually really excited that starting medical school in Toronto at University of Toronto, I will be back in the city. So I'll be returning to skating this year, not at the level I was at before. I don't think that would be responsible heading into such a, what I hear is going to be a pretty grueling program, but I am returning at a more recreational level. So I still actually will be competing, but um, it will just be, you know, within Canada and at a, at a reduced capacity. So I'm really just returning for the joy of the sport and to be back on the ice doing what I love. I think it will be actually a great outlet for me while I'm in school and to be back with my old teammates. I'm super excited about it. Amanda, thank you very, very much for your time. Honestly, your story is incredible, very inspiring, very intriguing to others as well. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time and for sharing everything with us. Thank you for having me. It was great. Absolute pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you to High Lifeline again for everything. Um, They really changed my experience with cancer, my family's experience with cancer, and even my experience post-cancer dramatically. And I'm very eternally grateful. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, Amanda, for taking the time to speak with me today. I truly appreciate you and your time and especially your story. Hearing a story about a girl who's just a normal teenager going to school, practicing her art of figure skating, skating for Team Canada around the world, and then having your world fall apart all around you and losing the ability to do the one thing that moves you is a life-altering experience. You turned that negative into a huge positive and kept your sight on your goal of skating again. With the help of your family, your coach, and teammates, you got back on the ice and achieved your goal. I hope the listeners were able to take away the understanding that at times when things seem the bleakest, if you keep your eye on the goal and you have the right support system helping you and you are willing to fight for what you want, there is hope. So thank you again, Amanda, and thank you to the listeners for coming with us on Amanda's journey. On Air with High is a High Lifeline Canada project produced by myself, Brian Strasberg, hosted by myself and the High Lifeline Canada Executive Director, Mordecai Rothman. Guests are booked by Orly Davis, and graphic design is done by Candace Alper. On Air with High is edited by myself, and the music is provided by Music Unlimited at pixabay.com. To learn more about High Lifeline and how you can help us, please visit our website at highlifelinecanada.org.